Chapter Five of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Five. Daisy's Diary, Seven Years Later. Cyril says he thinks I could write a novel. I have read so many stories, so much poetry, and I am such a fanciful creature. I hope that isn't another way of saying that I am silly and affected. One never quite knows what a university man means. They seem to have a language of their own, made up of cynicism and contempt for other people. Cyril is such a curious young man. He always seems to mean a great deal more than he says. At any rate, he has said ever so many times this summer that I ought to be able to write a novel. How I wish I could! How delightful it must be to invent people and make them alive, to live in their lives and in their adventures, to move all over the world in a beautiful daydream, not dim and confused and blurred and blotted with absurdities like the dreams of slumber, but clear and vivid with a light that never was on land or sea. I only wish Cyril were right, but alas, he is wrong. I have tried ever so many times. I have begun story after story, and have torn up my manuscript after the second or third chapter. My heroine seemed so foolish and so feeble there was no life in her. She was like those dear dolls I loved so, that never would sit up, not even against the wall, but always flopped over on one side or the other, as if their lovely waxen heads were too heavy for their awkward sawdust bodies she was every bit as limp my hero was better but i'm rather afraid he was too much like rochester and jane eyre where he wasn't the very image of guy livingstone what men those were guy was nicer he would have shown off best at a dinner-party or a ball mr rochester comes nearer one's heart how i could have loved him after he went blind happy jane to be so heroic and steadfast to go out into the cold bleak world and be nearly starved to death and then to have her own true love after all that was something like a destiny no i'm afraid i shall never write a novel there is something wanting invention i suppose but i am very fond of writing so i have made up my mind to write my own life my adventures would hardly fill a chapter not if i began at my cradle i never went to a hard and cruel school like jane eyre i never knew what it was to be hungry except after a long walk and then it was only a pleasant hunger tempered with the knowledge that five o'clock tea and hot buns and brown bread and butter were waiting for me at home no i have no vicissitudes to write about but i can write about those i love my impressions of people and scenery and books and animals how big a volume i could fill upon one subject alone if i were to write about mother and all her goodness to me and the happy years i have spent with her for my chief companion it seems only yesterday that i was a child and she used to play with me at all sorts of games just as if she were another little girl i fancied she was enjoying herself just as much as i was she would play at visiting and dinners even than which i cannot imagine anything more wearisome to a grown-up person to pretend to eat a grand dinner off little wooden dishes with painted food glued on to them curious puce-coloured joints and poultry and pink and green tarts and puddings and to make conversation and pretend to think everything nice and to ask for a second help of a wooden leg of mutton how dreadfully bored she must have been but she endured it all like a martyr we used to play battledore and shuttlecock on the tennis lawn for hours at a stretch she could run faster than i till a year or two ago she says now that those battledore contests kept her young 
everyone says how young and girlish she looks more like my elder sister than my mother indeed strangers generally take her to be my sister how pretty she is pretty is too insignificant a word she is beautiful i know no one with such a lovely complexion clear and pale with a rosy flush that lights up her face suddenly when she is animated her large hazel eyes are the loveliest i ever saw they have so much light in them and her smile is like summer sunshine but i must begin the story of my life in those days when i was just old enough to understand all that was going on round about me and to be sorry when those i loved were sorry and that will bring me only too soon to the saddest part of all my life the time when my father was taken from us let me try and recall him vividly in this book while i am still able to remember him exactly as he was so that when i am old and memory grows dim i may find his image here as one finds a rose in a book dry and dead but with its beauty and colour and velvet texture still remaining what a splendid-looking man he was not like guy livingstone or like edward fairfax rochester there was nothing dark or rugged or repulsive about my dear father and indeed although one's heart always goes out to a rugged repulsive man in the pages of a novel i don't know whether one would take quite so kindly to brian de bois gilbert or even to rochester in real life my father was like david of a pleasant countenance ruddy and fair to see i can bring his face and figure before me like a vision when i shut my eyes in the sunshine and fancy him walking across the lawn to meet me with the blue of the river behind him as i used to see him so often in the happy days before i went to harley street he was tall and broad-shouldered upright with an easy walk he took long steps as he came across the grass swinging his oak stick the stick he used in his long tramps to henley or reading or across the fields and woods to some out-of-the-way village he was almost always out of doors in summer alone or with mother oftenest with mother walking driving rowing and playing tennis he was not too old for tennis yes there is the bright frank face and the smiling blue eyes honest english eyes his portrait in the library and the photograph that hangs beside my bed may help to keep his features clearly in my memory but it seems to me as if i never could have forgotten him even if there had been no picture of him in existence it is hardly a question of memory his face lives in my heart and mind he was fond of me one of my earliest recollections is of lying at the end of a punt among a heap of soft cushions while my father walked up and down with the long heavy punt pole and moved the great clumsy boat over the bright blue water sometimes turning into a quiet backwater where he would moor his boat and sit and smoke his pipe in the sunshine and talk to me in a slow dreamy way between the puffs of tobacco or let me talk to him oh how i used to chatter in my little shrill voice and what questions i used to ask him question after question and how puzzled he used to look sometimes at my everlasting why and my everlasting what why did the sun shine or why did the river make the boat move or what were the flowers made of dearest father how patient he was with me he used to laugh off my questions he never explained things or taught me the names of the flowers like uncle ambrose our life together was a perpetual holiday he taught me how to fish for dace and minnows out of the stem of the boat and i was very happy with him it all seems like a dream of happiness now as i look back upon it but it is as fresh in my memory as the most vivid dream from which one has only just awakened sometimes these happy mornings were sunday mornings when mother was at church 
if sunday happened to be a very warm day father would begin to yawn at breakfast time and would say he did not feel inclined for church and that he would go on the water with daisy and then i used to clap my hands and rush off to get my sunbonnet and before mother had time to make any objection we were off to the boat-house to get the pole and the cushions when the church bells began to ring from the old red brick tower we were gliding ever so far up the river on the way to our favourite backwater where father used to sit and read his sunday papers while i worried the little happy dancing fish under the willows silvery darting creatures swift as light how glad i am now that i caught so few of them yes he was very good to me he used to talk of days when i should be grown up and when he would take me to parties and balls your mother and i are saving ourselves up for your first season daisy he said that's why we are living like hermits yes he was good and i loved him dearly but perhaps i loved ambrose arden almost as well only in another way i don't think any little girl of seven was ever so honoured as to have a man of vast learning to teach her to read and write unless it was some little princess in the days when a man like fenelon was not thought too good to be tutored to a dauphin uncle ambrose taught me from the very beginning it was his whim and fancy to do so he is a man of such laborious habits that he takes no account of trouble and in all the years he has laboured at my education i can never remember one impatient word or even one impatient movement on his part i have lost patience often i the learner he the teacher never i can just remember how i came to call him uncle ambrose i used to call him mr arden mr arden at least for it was before i could speak plainly one day he told me not to call him mr it was too formal between him and me call me ambrose he said and then mother looked up from her work and said that would never do a little girl could not address a man of his years and learning by his christian name i am not quite so elderly as i seem he said laughing but if you think ambrose too familiar let it be an imaginary uncle and let her call me uncle ambrose will that do yes said mother that will do very well so from that time forward he was uncle ambrose and he is uncle ambrose to this day just as kind and good and devoted as he was when i was a little girl with bare arms short petticoats and a sunbonnet he still occupies himself about my education although he is a much more distinguished person than when we began the task he has published three books since then books of the very highest literary character which have made him a reputation amongst the learned and the refined in england and on the continent reviewers have written about him in several languages his success has been undisputed his name is quoted with darwin and spencer and max muller in a word he is a famous man and yet he is content to go drudging on at the task of educating a frivolous girl like me we are reading Durie's Histoire des Grecs together this summer, and with it we are reading Grotz Plato and a selection of the dialogues in Jowett's magnificent translation. The little Greek that I know helps me to appreciate the beauty and the grace of the English rendering. I should like to kiss the hand that wrote that noble book. How suddenly, how awfully, that happy life with my father came to an end! i remember that summer morning when he left us soon after breakfast to go to london and complete the purchase of mr florestan's land we breakfasted in the garden in an open tent on the lawn and we were all so happy father talked of nothing but the land and the new garden which was to be laid out immediately the ground had all been laid out already on paper the plans were in the library on father's writing-table 
drawings of terraces and balustrades vases and statues lightly sketched in with that beautiful touch which makes almost any house charming before it is built everybody had seen the plans and had talked about them and argued and advised and my dear father had talked them all down with his grand ideas of an italian garden uncle ambrose quoted lord bacon's essay on gardens i remembered the very words a year ago when i began to read bacon they came back to me like the memory of a dream i was only a child but i used to sit and listen to everything that was said and think and wonder father kissed me at the gate before he got into the tea-cart that was to take him to the station thank god for that kiss he looked back at mother and me as he drove away he looked round at us with his beautiful smile and called out gaily i shall bring the title deeds home for you to look at he had asked mother to meet him at the station in the evening she was to drive her ponies and she was to take me with her if she liked on those long summer days i used to sit up till nine o'clock and i used to sit with mother and father while they dined my aunt talbot protested sometimes against what she called overindulgence and said i was being spoiled and should grow up old-fashioned i don't know about the spoiling but perhaps i have grown up old-fashioned i could not have been mother's companion in all those happy years if i had not been fond of many things that my cousins don't care for we went to the station mother and i in good time to meet the train that was due at a few minutes before seven we were there about a quarter of an hour before the train was due and we walked up and down the long narrow platform in the evening sunlight talking about father and his enthusiasm about the new garden it was my fancy in the first instance said mother but your father is so good to me that i have but to express a wish and he immediately makes it his own if i were to ask for a roc's egg like the princess Badoul-Badour, i believe he would start off to africa to look for one i remember laughing at the idea of the egg a roc's egg would be as big as all our house mother wouldn't it be funny if someone sent us one there were very few people at the station and we walked up and down and talked as merrily as if we had been in our own garden presently an electric bell began to ring and then a porter came out and rang a bell on the platform in front of the little waiting-room and then the train slowly came in and mother and i stood looking at the faces in the carriage windows there was seldom any delay in finding out father among the arrivals he was always one of the first to open the door and always on the alert to see us but on this evening we looked for him in vain three people got out of the train and the train went on and mother and i were left standing on the platform disappointed and unhappy the next train to stop at lamford was not due until ten minutes to nine too late for dinner too late for the sunset on the river a long long time for us to wait i must drive you home daisy said my mother and then i can come back to meet your father i tried to persuade her to wait there and let me wait with her the idea of home and bedtime was distasteful to me i could see that my mother was vexed and troubled i clung to her as she moved to leave the station let us wait for father i'm not tired i'm not hungry do let us wait for him and i'll go home together it was a lovely evening the sun was still bright the station-master's little garden was full of sweet-scented flowers roses clove carnations and sweet peas there may be a telegram at home said my mother yes i have no doubt he has sent me a telegram that idea seemed to decide her she put me into the carriage and drove home as fast as the ponies could go i was a little scared at the pace we travelled along the dusty roads and lanes but we reached home safely and then came a fresh disappointment 
no telegram i was sent to bed at half-past eight and mother went back to the station i couldn't sleep but lay listening and waiting in the summer dusk in my room next mother's dressing-room i got my good nurse broomfield to leave my door open and i listened for the return of the carriage when i heard the wheels i ran out upon the landing in my nightgown and stood at the top of the stairs listening expecting to hear my father's voice directly the door was opened but i only heard my mother speaking to the butler your master has not come by the nine o'clock train simeon there is no other train till after midnight you will have to sit up for him and to arrange a comfortable supper he may not have found time to dine in london i ran downstairs in my nightgown barefooted and tried to comfort poor mother for i could tell by her voice that she was unhappy she took me in her arms and cried over me and we went upstairs together she scolding me a little for leaving my bedroom but not really angry i knew that she was hardly thinking about me i knew that she was miserable about my father that was only the beginning of trouble she was up all night walking about her own room or going downstairs and out into the garden and to the gate to listen for his coming all night at intervals i heard her going up and down and the opening and shutting of the heavy hall door the butler and one of the maids sat up all night mother told simeon she felt sure his master would come home by road in the middle of the night even rather than leave her in suspense such a thing as his breaking an appointment with her had never happened before it was broad daylight when i cried myself to sleep so unhappy for mother's sake so frightened without knowing why about my father mother left the house early next morning to go to london with ambrose arden she did not come back for three days and then my aunt emily came with her and mother was so altered that i hardly knew her she was dressed in black and her pale face had a stony look that made me tremble she scarcely spoke to me or noticed me but my aunt took me on her lap and told me that a great sorrow had come upon me my father was dead i would not believe it for ever so long i had heard of people dying but they were old people who had been ill for a long time or weak little children and even they had been ill for a good many days and nights before the end came but my father was well and strong and happy when he sat in the cart waving us good-bye with his whip my aunt saw that i did not believe or did not understand her and she told me slowly how my father had died suddenly in london when he was on his way to a lawyer's office to buy mr florestan's land he was dead within a few hours after he drove away from our gate i had no father now nothing could ever give him back to me upon this earth if i were to spend all my life in prayers never to rise up off my knees while i lived my prayers would not give him to me for five minutes would not gain me so much as the sound of his dear voice calling me from the lawn my aunt took me to london with her that afternoon and i think what i felt most in the midst of my sorrow was the thought that mother did not mind parting with me she hardly looked at me she put away my arms from her neck almost angrily when i clung to her crying and entreating her to let me stay with her her eyes looked over my head when she said good-bye to me at the door as if she saw something a long way off some horrible thing that froze her blood and made her dumb i can understand what she felt now and how in her grief she was hardly conscious of my existence and that she did not really care whether i went or stayed i can sympathize with her now she has told me how she hardly missed me in those days of agony only awaking sometimes as if out of a dream to wonder that my place was empty 
we had been so much together i running after her everywhere like a lap-dog she never tired of me or impatient with me and yet in that overwhelming sorrow she almost forgot that she had a daughter she has owned as much to me and i have never felt wounded or angry that it should have been so with her since i have been able to understand the nature of such a grief as hers but at the time i was heartbroken by her coldness aunt emily took me to london and gave me over to the nurses and governesses in her house in harley street it is a very large house the largest in the street i believe and it was built for a rich nobleman when harley street was new and there was nothing but fields and country villages to the north no regent's park no squares and terraces and never-ending streets as there are now it is a fine old house with panelled walls and decorated ceilings and large rooms at the back but it seemed oh such a dreary house to me after our garden by the river and our bright gay rooms father is dead and mother doesn't love me any more i said to myself again and again as i sobbed myself to sleep in the strange bedroom where the very curtains of the bed were an agony to me because of their strangeness i had never been parted from my mother before wherever she and my father went they had taken me with them my cousins are all older than i and they had to work very hard under a french and german governess Fraulein taught them music and painting and mademoiselle taught them french attended to their wardrobes with a useful maid under her superintended their calisthenic exercises and dancing lessons and was responsible for their figures i cannot help putting that phrase in my book for i heard my aunt use it very often her great desire was that her daughters should be accomplished and elegant in all their attitudes and movements i expect them to be statuesque in repose and graceful in motion she said and it gave her almost a nervous attack when she saw clementina sitting with her toes turned in or her feet and ankles twisted into a knot under her chair there is no malice in saying that aunt emily's idea of education was the very opposite to that of uncle ambrose he taught and trained me to be happy in solitude as he is to be good company for myself and to find new interests every day in books aunt emily wished her daughters to shine in society to talk french and german and to play and sing better than any other girls in her circle and above all to make the very most of their personal advantages she is very candid in the expression of her ideas and makes no secret of her views upon education so there is no harm in my recording them in this journal which nobody is ever to read so i might be as malevolent as i like without injuring anybody mother says i am very uncharitable sometimes in my ideas and judgments and that a large-hearted charity is a virtue of age rather than of youth i know that i am quick to see the weak points in the characters of my friends and acquaintances and i dare say i am just as blind to my own defects it is a lucky thing for aunt emily that her five daughters are all good-looking and two of them decidedly handsome a plain daughter would have been an actual affliction to her all the ugliness of the family has concentrated itself in her only son my cousin horace a very plain boy but fortunately he is scientific and promises to be a shining light in the medical profession at least that is what his father and mother say of him he has made a profound study of sanitation and he can hardly talk to any one five minutes without mentioning sewer gas he is always altering the lighting or the drainage or the ventilation in harley street and his father complains that his experiments double the rent 
horace was eighteen when my father died and while i was at westgate with my cousins and the two governesses he used to come down on a saturday and stop till monday and i must own to my diary which is a kind of lion's mouth into which i can drop any accusations i like that he gave himself great airs to his sisters and the governesses and was altogether very disagreeable those summers at westgate were the unhappiest period of my life i look back at them now i am grown up and wonder that i ever lived through them my cousins were kind to me in a condescending way as was natural from big girls to a little girl and the governesses were very sorry for me and tried to comfort me but there was no comfort for me on the face of the earth without my mother and night after night i dreamt of my dead father and awoke to the agony of knowing that i should never see his beloved face or hear his dear voice again except in my dreams i think grown-up people forget how keenly they grieved and suffered when they were children and that they never quite understand a child's grief i know that when either of the governesses tried to console me she always made me just a little more miserable than i was before she took me on her lap and talked to me about heaven and my father i heard by accident as i was not intended to hear it that my mother was very ill dangerously ill and i was so unhappy about her that after entreating again and again with passionate tears to be taken to her i made up my mind to walk to london and from london to riverlawn i had looked at the map of england sometimes when my cousins had their atlases out and i knew that to reach lamford i must go through london i lay awake all night thinking of how i was to get away when the governesses and the maids were engaged and when i might creep out of the house without being seen i believe i should really have started on this journey but for the arrival of my uncle ambrose who came upon me suddenly on the day after i had heard of my mother's illness and who found me sitting crying alone on the sands his was the first voice that brought me comfort it was upon his breast that i sobbed out my grief until the burden seemed lightened somehow he told me that my mother was out of danger now and that she would soon get well or at least well enough for me to go home and be with her again and he said i must try and be a comfort and a consolation to her in the days to come i told him i was afraid my mother had left off loving me since father's death she had not seemed to mind my going away while i was heartbroken at leaving her and then he tried to make me understand how in a grief like my mother's all things seemed blotted out except that one overwhelming loss he told me that a dark curtain had fallen over my mother's mind and that i should find her changed from the happy woman i had known in the happy days that were gone but the curtain will be lifted by and by daisy he said and you will see your mother's joyous nature return to her no grief lasts for ever a year is a long time even for a great sorrow and in a year your mother will begin to forget he meant this for consolation but my tears broke out afresh at the thought that my father would be forgotten i shall never forget him i said no my darling he will live in your memory and your mother's but your memory of him will be sad and sweet instead of bitter and cruel he will have taken his natural place in the past and his shadow will not darken the present as it does now let me go home soon i said clinging to him when he was leaving westgate later in the afternoon pray 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 let it be soon as soon as ever your mother is well enough to see you darling he promised i had always been fond of him he had always had the next place in my heart after my mother and father but he seemed nearer to me than ever after that day and he has never lost the place that he took then or the influence that he had over me then in my desolation 
I spent three more weary weeks at Westgate after this. Aunt Talbot was with a fashionable party in the Highlands. Uncle Talbot was part of his time in Harley Street and part of his time rushing about England and Scotland by express trains to see his most distinguished patients. I used to hear my cousins talk of the places he went to and the people he went to see, great people, all of them. He had the life and sanity of cabinet ministers and bishops in his special custody, and he made them obey his most severe orders in fear and trembling. I used to sit and listen idly in my wretched low-spirited state, while my cousins and the governesses chattered about aunt's gowns and uncle's patients, and I remembered as children remember things in which they take no interest. At last the happy day came for my going home, and here came Uncle Ambrose to fetch me. "'How good it is of you to come so far!' i told him you must have other things to do besides coming to fetch me there is no other thing in this world that comes before my duty to my little pupil and her mother he answered in his low sympathetic voice we went off to the station in an open fly together i'm sure my lively cousins must have been very glad to get rid of a crying child that used to mope in corners and sit at meals with a melancholy face but they couldn't be gladder to part with me than i was to go away i had tried to take interest in their lessons when the german governess urged me to employ my mind but their lessons seemed so dull and difficult compared with uncle ambrose's way of teaching me the fraulein was always grinding at grammar while except so far as learning my french verbs i hardly knew what grammar meant but without vanity it is only fair to uncle ambrose to say that at ten years old i knew a great deal more about the history of the world and the people who had lived in it than my cousin dora who was eighteen and even in those days i knew something about the great poets of the world of whom dora and her sisters knew nothing for uncle ambrose had told me all about dante and his wonderful history of hell and heaven and about goethe and his faust and he had read milton's story of adam and eve and the fallen angel who tempted them and shakespeare's tempest and as you like it and midsummer's night's dream aloud to me to familiarize my ear and my mind with poetry while i was still a child he said i had to thank his kindness for all i knew and for being a better companion to my mother than i could have been if i had had a fraulein and a mademoiselle to teach me when we were sitting in the railway carriage and the sun was shining full upon uncle ambrose's face i noticed for the first time that there was a great change in him since the summer i had been too excited and busy to take notice of it before but i saw now that he had grown thin and paler and that he looked older and very ill i put my arms around him and kissed him as i used to do in the dear old days poor uncle ambrose i said how sorry you must have been i love you better than ever dear because you are so sorry for us his head was leaning forward on his breast and he gave one great sob that was his only answer how distinctly i remember that journey through the clear september light by great yellow cornfields and the blue bright sea and then hop gardens and orchards full of fruit and then houses and houses and houses and then at last the air grew dull and thick and the sun seemed dead and this was london uncle ambrose was silent and thoughtful all through the journey which seemed so long oh so long as if it would never come to an end and bring me to mother and home i have been to the highlands since then and to the riviera but those journeys were with mother and they did not seem half so long as the journey from westgate to london and across london to paddington and from paddington to the little station at lamford where we waited for father that evening for father who was never 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 coming home to us again 
at the sight of the station and the station-master's garden which was all of a blaze with dahlias and hollyhocks now where the sweet peas had been blooming i burst into tears they were the first i had shed since i left westgate but the sight of the garden brought back the memory of that evening when i walked up and down with mother and when we were both so gay and happy talking of father and of what he would say and how he would look when we saw his face at the carriage window i have but to shut my eyes even now after seven years have changed me from a child to almost a woman and i can see the station lying all among the meadows by the riverside and i can see my father's face as i expected to see it smiling at us as the train came in dear well-remembered face which i was never to see again upon this earth there was a carriage at the station to take us home but mother wasn't in the carriage when he saw my disappointment uncle ambrose told me that she was still an invalid and had not gone beyond the garden since her illness you will have to comfort and cheer her with your loving little ways daisy he said but you will have to be very quiet and gentle it is not long since she could hardly bear the sound of any one's voice you will find her sadly changed more changed than you are i asked much more think how much more trouble she has gone through than i have had to bear but you look as if you couldn't have been more sorry i said for indeed i had never seen such sadness in any face as i had seen in his that day mother was lying on a sofa by the drawing-room fire the evenings were beginning to be chilly and she was an invalid wrapped in a large white china crepe shawl one of father's gifts which i remembered ever since i could remember anything there was a middle-aged woman in the room neatly dressed in black with a white cap and apron whom i afterwards knew as one of mother's nurses she had had two nurses all through her illness one for the day and the other for night for there had been one dreadful time when it was thought that she might try to kill herself if she were left alone yes she was changed more changed than uncle ambrose she was wasted to a shadow and there was no colour in her face even her lips were white her beautiful hair which father had been so proud of had all been cut off and she wore a little lace cap which covered her close-cropped head and was tied under her chin her poor hands were almost transparent she gathered me up in her arms and she kissed and cried over me and i thought even then that it did her good to have her little daughter back again she told me years afterwards that those tears were the first that had brought any sense of relief with them she lifted me into a corner of her sofa weak as she was and she kept me there till my bedtime she had my supper laid upon a little table by the sofa and she fed me and cared for me with her own feeble hands in spite of all the nurse could say and from that night i was with her always you don't know what it is to me to have my little girl again she said to the nurse you don't know what it is to feel this frozen heart beginning to melt and to know that there is something left in this world that i can love she said almost the same words to uncle ambrose next day when he came over to river lawn soon after breakfast to give me my morning lessons and i thought he looked more and more sorry as he stood listening to her with his hand upon the little pile of books which he had brought over from the cottage he answered mother with a smile a minute afterwards yes it is a blessed thing to know we can love and be beloved he said mother told me afterwards that there was a reason for his sympathizing with her in her sorrow more than any other friend he too had lost his nearest and dearest his good and devoted young wife after a brief illness almost as suddenly as her loss had come upon her he too was alone in the world but for an only child his son of whom he was doubtless very fond 
but mother added there were times when she fancied that he was fonder of me than of his own son our lives went on very quietly after that day and from that day i was my mother's only companion we have never been parted since my desolate days at westgate and we have lived almost out of the world mother says that next year when i shall be eighteen she will have to go into society for my sake and that she will not be able always to go on refusing invitations to garden and tennis parties all along the river banks from marlow to reading it will be only right for me to see a little more of the world mother says and to mix with girls of my own age i suppose i shall like it when the time comes but i have no longing for parties or dances or fine clothes and my cousins in harley street say i am the oddest girl they ever met with but that it is no wonder i am odd considering the eccentric manner in which i have been educated i have been so happy so happy with mother in all these years so fond of our pretty house which grows prettier every year under mother's care and our gardens which are looked upon as model gardens by all the neighbourhood people come and ask to see them as a great favour which is rather hard upon mother and me who love seclusion for seven years uncle ambrose has gone steadily on with my education never missing a day except when some slight illness has made either him or me unfit for work as punctually as the clock strikes ten he appears at the little garden gate nearest his cottage if the weather is warm we sit in the summer-house or under the great willow which grows and grows and grows as if it were a magic tree if it is not summery enough for sitting out of doors we work in the morning-room upstairs yes we have been happy together mother and i but we have never forgotten father we never have come to think less of our great loss saddest thoughts have mixed with our happiest hours we never have forgotten him we never can forget him many women as beautiful and as young-looking as my mother would have married again within two or three years of her first husband's death but she has never given a thought to any other man than him and she never will once i ventured to ask her if father was her first love if she had never cared ever so little for any other lover and she told me that he was the first who had ever spoken to her of love she was only eighteen when she married she was only nineteen when i was born she and my father fell in love with each other at first sight like a prince and princess in a fairy tale End of chapter five